This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. There goes the fly ball towards left field. Going back fast is Kennedy. Kennedy gets there, and he takes it. And the Cleveland Indians are the world champions of 1948. And they are leaping joyously as they go off the field. Bearden is being mobbed as our rule will draw. And out in center field, Tucker and Kennedy come running in arm in arm. Little tap up in the air, third base side, waiting is Tommy. Foul territory, the game is over. And the Indians have won the divisional title. Indian fans have waited 41 years. And now they can really cheer. Down the pitch. Swung on, lined to deep left field. It is gone! You should see the celebration! Out of the Indians, third base dugout, Rajay Davis, a bullet, two-run homer, down the left field line, clearing the 19-foot wall. We are tied at six. This is Our Tribe History, presented by Progressive. A regular look back at professional baseball history in Cleveland, since 1901 and beyond. Now, here's your host, Indians team historian, Jeremy Fedor. Hello, Tribe fans, and welcome back to another episode of Our Tribe History, presented by Progressive. I am your host, team historian, Jeremy Fedor. And on this episode of the podcast, we're going to take a look at the Bob Feller exhibit in the uh, the former Bob Feller Museum and talk about how it ended up in Cleveland and some of the interesting artifacts that are on display so that when uh, when fans are allowed back in the ballpark, maybe you don't know that it's currently uh, in the Terrace Club, but um, we kind of run into that every once in a while that we have this great display upstairs and a lot of fans really aren't aware of it. So we're going to dive into that story. And the museum actually opened, I believe it was 1995 out in Van Meter, Iowa, which is Bob's hometown. It's one of his nicknames, the heater from Van Meter. The museum displayed a lot of, uh, of Bob's personal artifacts. Now, over the years, some of the big named items ended up in Cooperstown, I believe, he used to have that first contract on display there, and as well as the uh, the sleeve his mom made him to help keep his arm warm. And I believe those are both now. In, I know for a fact that the the, um, the contract is in Cooperstown. We have a facsimile on display in the 
current exhibit. But nevertheless, the museum opened. And there's actually, we'll go back. There's there's not a lot of museums that focus strictly on one player. I mean, just off the top of my head, I know there's a Shoeless Joe Jackson Museum, and that's um, actually currently on the move. They're moving the uh, home of Jackson a little bit down the street for development. And there is a Yogi Berra Museum, but that is attached to a minor league ballpark, I think, out on the out on the East Coast. And uh, there's a Hank Aaron one, but there's there's not too many. And there, I think there's a reason for that. It's just it's hard to um, maintain a museum dedicated to one individual unless they're Babe Ruth. And there's you know the Babe Ruth Museum out in Baltimore, which if you're ever out in Baltimore, I would suggest checking it out. I was out there, oh, I don't know, probably 10 years now um, when the Orioles, or to go see the Orioles play, and they used to have a great sports museum outside of Camden, but down the street was the Babe Ruth Museum, and it was the boyhood home, or, or something along the lines of that, and it's a really neat display, really nice setup, and obviously not, uh, you know, Babe is the biggest name in baseball history now. Feller is up there as well. Um, but a lot of people really aren't going to Van Meter, Iowa on vacation versus Baltimore, Maryland. So, um, again, you don't see too many standalone dedicated museums. And um, while the Feller Museum was a site for a while, um, it, it lasted pretty long time up until about 2014 and you know we'll get to that but one of the main reasons was that bob was always out there and um you know he's at the museum they'd have autograph signings and uh unfortunately when bob passed away the museum lost a lot of momentum um you know that and then as years pass by there's just the fact of life that there's fewer and fewer people that remember seeing Bob pitch and if you're driving across country, you know, you see the science as Bob Feller museum, maybe people stop pulling off and checking it out. So, um, the museum just struggled and we were able to find a, a way to kind of remedy that. Um, and Van Meter, I think took control of the building and it's a cool building. You can Google pictures of it. I believe Bob's son, Steve, had a hand in designing it. Um, there's a, a brick relief on the side of the building with Bob and his pitching motion and a really unique building in the, the center of Van Meter, Iowa. So we were able to figure out a situation where the city would take control of the building and kind of turn it into their city hall. And we would keep some artifacts there uh, but bring the rest to Cleveland and um, what they have on display right now in Iowa are, are things that are more Iowa centric. They have his letter sweater from Van Meter High School and his Legion uniform. And, and again, things that make sense to stay in Iowa versus come to Cleveland. And the museum or the uh, packing up of the museum and, and bringing things back to Cleveland was actually one of my first big projects. I believe I was still an intern at the time. And uh, Bobby D and I and Steve Feller, Bob's son, all met out at the museum in Iowa and just started packing 
packing up artifacts to make the the U-Haul trip back to Cleveland. And it was a, an interesting experience because you're going through all these cases and, um, you know, for a lot of, I mean, at least for me, this is the first time I was seeing a lot of these items. And I just remember coming across, I think Bobby was in the basement and we were going through some things and he found a file folder full of telegrams when Bob was inducted into the Hall of Fame. And among those telegrams, there was a one from Jackie Robinson, and I'll, I'll tweet these out because I have scans of them on, on my computer. So there's one from Jackie Robinson, and then there's also one from Lou Boudreaux and a few other of his Indians teammates, but thankfully Bob saved these items, and it's really neat to see the congratulations that he got from baseball players and just fans in general um, so that was you know, one of those things we found as we were packing stuff up. And uh, one of the, the things Bob was most proud of was his military career. And again, when we were going through uh, the artifacts, um, I think Bobby again found this. It was a box, and when we opened it, it was actually his one of his Navy jackets, uh, which was really neat. You open up the back and stenciled inside was Feller. And uh, there were there were other artifacts from his Navy days, but the jacket itself, I think, is just such a unique artifact because it, you know, when we walk into the ballpark, you see the Feller statue, and he's become you know the legend of Bob Feller. I mean, rightly so. But the the jacket that's currently on display in the exhibit really reminds you that he was also just a regular human that, you know, wore the same military stuff as uh, his fellow servicemen. So to be able to have that on display, um, I think is one of the, if not the coolest item on display, but, you know, one that I think strikes a chord with a lot of fans. And, and I think Bob would be happy to know that that's on display as well, because again, it, it speaks to his Navy background and his service time uh, during World War II. And again, we, we didn't have much time. So it was a lot of it was like a quick pack up and, you know, kind of we'll pack it up now and figure it out back in Cleveland. So we loaded, I mean, there's lots of autograph baseballs that were from the, the gift shop. Um, and then just a lot of random items that we said, this looks cool. Let's make sure we, you know, take it with us. And one of the items that's on display in the Feller exhibit at Progressive Field is a baseball, and it's got like a shellac on it. It's got autographs, and at first it was one of those things where, huh, you know, maybe someone just sent him a baseball. It's some random, you know, former Cleveland Indians players. And the more I, I looked at it, and I, I have to double check, I, I forget the names, but um, when I was on Baseball Reference looking them up. They all kind of were around the 1934-ish, 33-35, that era. And as the story goes, um, when Feller was signed, he signed for like a dollar and an autographed baseball. So this ball, very, it, it's in the right time period. Now, I asked Bob's son, Steve, like, hey, do you remember this? Is this something that uh, you know would make sense for your father to have saved? And... He didn't remember the ball, but 
you know, it, it would make sense that this could be the ball that um, that Bob got when he signed with the club, which if that was the case, I mean, the history there is just uh, off the charts. Now, you can't conclusively say, you know, is this the ball that Bob got when he signed with the club? So we have it on display with the, um, I think the Texas, you know, a ball similar to this one, if not this one. Um, but it's one of those things that you'll never know the answer to. But again, it wasn't like there was a collection of 1930s Cleveland Indians signed baseballs with his stuff. And there is a kind of a backstory to it. So, you know, with that being said, you know, I want to believe that it's that ball and it very well could be, but we'll just really never know. But that is one of the items on display in the uh, in the exhibit. So after uh, we had packed everything up and it's in this big U-Haul, Bobby D flips me the keys and he says, you're driving, which I still think is the the funniest part of everything because I'd never really driven a U-Haul all that far. And here I am in December of 2014 driving a U-Haul with priceless Bob Feller artifacts uh, in the back of it. So... But we made it back to Cleveland in one piece and um, then became the organization and the uh, preservation aspects of everything. And as I mentioned before, there were, you know, some items that we just didn't have the time to really examine and look at. And as I was going through them, there was this big autograph, or not autograph, but big um, All-American, I forget what year, 1940 or 41, you know, baseball All-American, and it says Bob Feller. I'm like, oh, this is cool. You know, it's this big, heavy plaque. Then you look at all the signatures at the the bottom of the um, page, and one of them is, you know, it's signed George, you know, Babe Ruth, and it's like, oh, wait. Here we have a Babe Ruth autograph. Oh, um, it's just one of those things that you didn't notice until you were kind of examining it. And you look know, at auctions, and you, these these particular awards have been auctioned off quite a bit. But again, this was Bob Feller's, and uh, so that one's not on display right now, just because it's large and there's just not really a great way in the current setup to display it. But um, you know, going back to Babe Ruth, because there's a lot of connections to uh, to the Babe. Another artifact that is on display, but it, it's one of those things where we, you know the history. So even though this particular baseball, and I'm going to get to the story of it in a minute, is badly faded, um, you can you still know that it's the ball and the story to it. I think not that. You know, everything is measured in dollars and cents, but just the wherewithal of what it is. And it was called Bob's Gopher Ball. And in, you know, baseball terms, a gopher ball is, you know, a ball you you give up for a, a home run. And uh, for Bob, though, it was literally that that he heard Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth were barnstorming through the area. And he needed some money to buy a baseball to have him autograph it and there was a bounty on gopher pelts or whatever, and he was able to, I think you say, smoked them out and, and not only clubbed them or did what, but he earned enough money to buy a baseball. And then he took this baseball and had it signed by Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. 
Now, when you look at it, you can see the autographs are pretty faded, but they're still somewhat legible. Um, so we we have that on display, and again, really a unique um, award that uh, Bob saved for his, uh, you know, for a long time. So it's got a cool story, and I know he references it quite a few times in. Uh, books and stories so his gopher ball is on display at the ballpark as well and among other things on display we have the catcher's glove that is dad wore so you can imagine that if your you know son's throwing who knows actually how fast bob threw but you know he's obviously in the 90s somewhere like his dad's catching these these baseballs out in iowa uh, we have his dad's catcher's glove and there's a piece of leather that had to be repatched in the middle of it because he was wearing these gloves out during his uh, bullpen session, so to speak, back in Iowa. So that artifact also tells a really unique story about Bob's time with the Indians. But I wish, uh, I do wish we had some actual jerseys of Bob's from his playing days, but unfortunately he didn't save any of those. And Every once in a while, you see one or two of them up at auction, but they fetch an insane amount of money. And uh, so we have a few uh, reproductions, which, again, convey the same point. Now, we do have what Bob said was his um, his warm-up shirt he would wear that he, th- he was wearing when he pitched one of his no-hitter games. And then one of his – or his glove he has from – the opening day no hitter, so we have that on display as well. Um, you're able, it, it, you know, one of those things is like kind of try to photo match it, and the, the glove matches a photo we have of Bob from that game. But it looks like there was some sort of like extra webbing added on later on. You can see that there's kind of like a crude hole punched through the top of it to kind of add the the lacing and. I'm not sure how many times guys were switching gloves back in the 30s and 40s, but um, it would make sense, I would think, to, to add extra webbing if you, you know, liked your glove, it was broken in, and you could uh, roll with that. Another aspect I think is fascinating about Bob too is just how uh, how much he was out there, and we have so much of his advertisement and out there, I mean, you know, on displays or advertisements. Um, He saved a lot of those. And I think fans would send him stuff to, to his museum, but Wheaties displays or these big Motorola um, banners that I want to display, but they're very hard because they're so big. But Bob was, uh, he was, he had his candy bar, a Goodfeller bar. And we have one of those candy wrappers on display as well as a hat that was used to promote it. And, I love the Goodfeller bar because I think it it came out about 1937 or 38. It was very quickly uh, put out there after he was this phenom, obviously, coming out of high school to strike out uh, all those Cardinals players in that exhibition game as well as, uh, you know, everything else he was doing. So people people went nuts for Feller, and he had the Goodfeller bar, and we have an <clears throat> advertisement for his was ginger ale, um, so he was he was out there, and these advertisements kind of show, you know, that era of baseball as it's continues its evolution, and and Bob was really out there, and Babe Ruth, and there were guys before Bob that did it, but Bob was also, 
again, in that era, one of the most prominent faces and that and just being on magazine covers, whether it was sport magazine or these other random uh, baseball magazines. It's it's when you put all those together, it really gives you an appreciation, I think, of of how big a deal Bob was. The crowning jewel, though, of the Feller exhibit is the, and it, again, it ties back to Babe Ruth, is the, there's a famous picture of Babe Ruth that was taken, I think, June 13th, 1948. The uh, Indians were in, ta- or in New York and the Yankees were celebrating um, some of the old timers and Babe was dying of throat cancer and uh, he happened to be in the Indians' dugout at the time, and this is the same day they retired his number three and sent the uniform to Cooperstown. But he, and then the, this is where the story too gets kind of uh, convoluted, I guess, or it's just a matter of who you, um, you know, you listen to or where you get your information from. But and obviously with history, there's a lot of that stuff of you know, no one thought to write it out immediately into newspaper men. It was probably something trivial they didn't really think about. But um, Babe comes out, and he's leaning on this bat, and there's a famous Pulitzer Prize-winning photograph of Babe, and hence the title, Babe Bows Out. It was his last time, I think, wearing a uniform in Yankee Stadium. And uh, that bat was Bob's bat. And when he came back to the dugout, he gave the bat back. And as the story goes... Eddie Robinson, a tribe first baseman, um, got the bat back from Babe and had him autograph it. And for a while, Eddie had it, and I think he had it on display at a restaurant or something because there's a pin, there's two holes in it that you could see it was mounted at one point. And then uh, I think at some point, maybe in the 70s, he sold it to Barry Halper, who was a big baseball collector. And then when Halper's collection went up at auction, that particular bat, I think it was like Upper Deck or some sports card company, picked it up and gave it away as a a, a prize in terms of, uh, of, you know, you find a card and mail it in. And the people that won it, for whatever reason, weren't able to keep it. And in the long, circuitous route, came back to Bob and his museum in the early 2000s. So... I know it's one of the last bats that Babe Ruth ever touched, and being part of uh, uh, you know the phot- photographic history of of baseball. I mean, one of the most important photos, or one of the most uh, remembered photos, and that's Bob Feller's bat. So, um, but when we picked everything up from the museum in Iowa, it wasn't actually on display. It was out in Cooperstown because the, the museum was aware of the situation and. Cooperstown brought it back with the actual uniform that Babe was wearing from that uh, event. So they were all together for a while. And then, which actually for me, it was probably nicer not to have it in the back of the U-Haul because that would have made me a little more nervous. But when uh, when the Baseball Hall of Fame sent it back to us, you know, it's one of those things you don't take lightly that you get a chance to hold a bat that Babe Ruth held and Bob Feller held and, uh, uh Again, to take good care to make sure nothing happens to it and uh, make sure the fans can see it and, and check it out. And what we were able to do, I think, is uh, neat because when you go into the Terrace Club, there's a set of stairs and it kind of rounds around 
and the bad kind of is the main focus of that. And we have the picture of the babe bowing out, and next to it is uh, kind of a contextual picture. It shows Babe leaving the dugout, and you have a bunch of the Cleveland players behind him clapping. So um, that I think that kind of helps out. Like, why is there a random Babe Ruth bat? But when in fact it's it's tied to Cleveland and in that respect. So um, that's one of the first things you see too when you check out the exhibit. And when we were able to create the display. Um, we kind of had a, a short window to get it done, um, but it was it was hectic and chaotic, but also a lot of fun. And the way we have it set up right now, uh, it kind of tells the story of Bob's life. We have a section on Van Meter, which includes that facsimile of his contract, as well as his dad's glove. Um, a lot of uh, like he had cool like envelopes. They used to have homecoming days in Van Meter for Bob and. They put, you know, the, the canceled stamps would have, you know, Bob Feller homecoming night, September, whatever, after the season was over. Um, I'm trying to think what else is uh, on display in that area. And then we have his playing days in Cleveland. So we have, um, you know, media guys from the 40s and ticket stubs and games Bob pitched in um, commemorating, you know, his, his career with the tribe. And then we have a whole section on his uh, military uh, career, including his jacket and some other items he saved from his military days, as well as a replica of the Bob Feller Active Valor Award, which is something that uh, I know the organization's very proud of and recognizes uh, a current baseball player and their efforts with the uh, with servicemen and women and uh, Hall of Famers, and as well as Chief Petty Officers, because Bob is the only Chief Petty Officer in the Baseball Hall of Fame. So uh, that's some of our display items we have in terms of Bob's military career. And then we have a section that highlights his three no-hitters, um, which is where we have his no-hitter glove, as well as just some other um, random stats of his career. And then the next example or area has advertisements and just Bob and pop culture and how uh, how he was kind of viewed and and how just how much he was out there. And then finally, in the last section, is his post playing days. Obviously, he was an ambassador for Cleveland baseball uh, when Cincinnati had the All Star Game. Baseball ran a franchise four competition that was like the Mount Rushmore of each team and. Obviously, Bob was on Cleveland, so that award came to us. The I know the family wanted us to have it on display, so we put that out there. We have a number 19 jersey that the players wore when they honored Bob after he had passed away on opening day. Um, and then a lot of, of I think, it's some passes to the Hall of Fame he had, his piloting book, and uh, a lot of you know things that make him more human than just that statue outside the ballpark. And if you believe in, I don't know what you'd call, I mean, obviously coincidence or, or, you know, uh, just the strangest things happen, I guess, is when we actually cut the ribbon. We had uh, Bobby D and Ann Feller do that. It was in May of 2015, and we celebrated the opening of the exhibit. And there's nice little touchscreen videos in the middle of it, too, I forgot to mention, but everyone gave it a look, gave it a, you know, a tour. And then when we were done, we went to 
a suite and we had Bob's uh like Steve Feller was there and a few other of of the Feller family as well as um you know Indians employees and sure enough that was the game that Corey Kluber struck out 18 Cardinals in the uh in early game and again that ties Bob Feller's franchise record for most strikeouts in a nine-inning game. I think Louis Tiant has more in a 10-inning game. But, you know, talk about just coincidence or I don't know. It was really neat to see that. And, you know, it's one of those things where is he going to go back out for the ninth inning because Tito had gotten ejected earlier. And it was just uh, it was really, really kind of cool to know that we opened the exhibit that same day that one of his records got tied and, for a while, we had uh, Corey Lennas, his jersey, to put on display, and we got one of the strikeout balls as well to put on there. So that exhibit, you know, especially when one of our pitchers ties a fellow record or is mentioned in the same uh, breath as Bob, you know, we like to connect that past to the present, and that was a really unique experience to to watch that game and, and see history be made, and especially after we had just done all that stuff for the exhibit and opened it. And overall, I think one of my, again, f- favorite parts of everything when it was all said and done was um, the New York Times did an article about the move, and I, 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 I like to laugh at myself. So when I was reading it, it said, Bob DiBiasio and another Indians employee and, uh, you know, I was that another Indians employee, which I was kind of hoping, you know, they could throw my name out there, but I guess uh, wasn't in the cards. But I, I thought that was hilarious. And um, but, you know, even now we get people that come across something fellow related when they're whether they're trying to downsize or just find a better home for it. And uh, we use that to, again, tell the story of Bob's career so that future generations are aware of just the player he was. And, um, you know, we've gotten several things in the mail, and and it's really neat when people think of us. And I love integrating these things into the displays and rotating items in and out. So, you know, if you've seen it once, I can change it up, and you can come back up and, and check it out and see it again because... I think Heritage Park is great, and I love the plaques, but plaques don't all, you know, they, they don't change. Um, now, hopefully we get more additions to Heritage Park, but um, the Feller exhibit, we can rotate stuff in and out and change it up so you can see something new, and that's my favorite part. And, you know, as of now, again, we don't have a team museum like we mentioned in the other podcast, but it's still a way to get those artifacts out there and let fans enjoy them because that's what they're there for, I think, is for people to come and appreciate it and, and check it out. And that's a good spot to end at, I think. I'm, uh, you know, we just started the season and I'm trying to uh, see my how my workload is with recording these podcasts and, again, trying to do the every other week. And I uh, just to start off, I... I went back to something I know I could uh, could punch out pretty quick with this Feller exhibit, but I don't know if it's, you know, Tales from the Archive is of interest of talking about some of the other artifacts that we have uh, in storage. Um, but uh, the Feller stuff obviously is all on display, and 
again, tells a wonderful story of the all-time greatest Cleveland baseball player. And with that, uh, that's uh, I think that's a wrap. So again, thank you for listening to Our Tribe History presented by Progressive. Uh, please feel free to tweet at me or email or if you have any suggestions, comments, uh, ideas for other uh, stories in the podcast, I'd love to hear them. Um, but until then, thank you for listening. You've been listening to Our Tribe History presented by Progressive with your host, Indians team historian, Jeremy Fedor. Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.